Hey, Sandy. How are you? How you doing? What's up? What's going on? Well, it's one of those mornings and afternoons and evenings where I'm supposed to just say, oh man, what an election. What a time we just had yesterday. Holy shit. I can't believe what what happened. <laughs> except uh, except uh, it's uh, Sunday night and <laughs> I don't know what happened. Aww. Awkward recording time. I mean, damn, I suppose we could have recorded uh, tomorrow night, but no, we couldn't. That wouldn't make any sense. We wouldn't have any editing time. But (laughs) by the time you're listening to all of this, dear listeners, there will be a new government elected in Quebec. Yes. And there won't be a new government elected in Brazil. No, no. So let's talk about that first. Um, The progressive candidate Lula former president, was supposed to have won on the first ballot based on the exit polls, which is seemingly not what is happening. No, it's like a near 50-50 split down the middle between Lula and Jair Bolsonaro, who is the incumbent, very Trump-like incumbent candidate. And I mean, this is bad news. Uh, in Brazil, there mm-hmm. needs to be a crossing of the 50% threshold. I don't think either of them are going to cross the 50% threshold. Is that correct? Uh, I think that's been reported that's right. now already, which means there will be a runoff election at the end of the month. Um, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, Bolsonaro uh, is running completely from Trump's playbook in that he has said if he doesn't win, then it means that there was giant election fraud. And if he does win, then, you know, he he's won. And that if he doesn't win, people should take to the streets, blah, blah, blah. And there's some nervousness because he has um, military, a military background that, that could have um, dire consequences uh, in Brazil, um, which is... Uh, as you probably know, a fairly new democracy because there was a military dictatorship there. So um, that's something to watch very closely as, uh, you know, the polarization that is, um, you know, taking over pretty much all political jurisdictions in the entire world uh, seems to be well and alive in Brazil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And so, you know, we're not yet in military dictatorship land in Quebec. Uh, we also do not have a left-wing government. We have a CAC majority again. And the disgusting thing about the CAC is, you know, in the last couple of days of the election, they were really, really hammering on how much they hate immigrants. And you had Jean Boulet, who uh, was a former minister of immigration, uh, saying in a debate that of immigrants go to Montreal, which is true, uh, and then don't work, don't uh, learn the language, and don't integrate into French culture and values. And that caused a huge outcry, obviously. He was not kicked out of the election, which he should have been. And um, and it's it, it started a lot of reaction, obviously, uh, not just reaction to what he's saying, but 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 comments about how this kind of thing, the CAC passes them off as gaffes. Uh, Boulet like apologized after saying he didn't mean to say what he said, though if you listen to the tape, it's like no way he couldn't have meant that. It was very, 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 very clear. 
Um, and so there, those words just spilled out of his mouth accidentally, and he didn't mean for them to to have meaning. Those words. Yeah, I mean, it's not even like you listen to it. It's like, nope, that's 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 actually very clear. Like you literally said that you didn't trip up on your words. You didn't pause or stutter. You were very, 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 very clear. Uh, you're a piece of shit. And so these these guys, you know, they they use this to to bolster the support that they have outside of centers, uh, city centers, especially outside of Montreal. The CAC is not going to make any inroads at all in uh, Montreal or did not, I guess. You know, I know this has already happened, but I can tell you that that's fucking for sure. Um, and uh, and then the the premier is able to apologize and claim like this is this is kind of a comment that doesn't reflect his whatever the fuck. Um, but it's just so gross. And the only silver lining is it's like at least we get to talk about this stuff openly rather than it being all very quiet and hidden and obscured from view. Um, but that's such a small, small, small silver lining because it's like the fact that this is a government that benefits so much from their anti-immigrant rhetoric is just so sick and disgusting. And we've got another four years of Papa Francois Legault. 80% of immigrants just don't work, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, of course, I mean, like it was fact checked instantly by by journalists. And so like, <laughs> like, obviously, like, no, not even not even a little bit close to the truth. The whole statement is stunning. Um, that piece of it is quite stunning to me. Yeah. It, and it's I mean, it's if, for a lot of people, of course, it's like depressing and it's frustrating. And I've talked to people today. Um, you know, a, a, a cab driver and people I know, like just over the course of the day. And it's just like, it's just such a grind and it's so fucking frustrating. And the worst narrative of this whole election is the rise of the far right. And they have been on the rise. They, this is something I cannot say with certainty, but I hope that they didn't win a seat last night. They shouldn't have won a seat last night, but there are three ridings where they're within the margin of error on the on the on the surveys that suggest that it was possible for the conservatives to win. But I mean, it's just we're just getting into a, a really shitty start of another shitty four years. For people who do think that way, I really do wonder what they think. Like, do they think that, you know, that you, you, migrating to Canada is super easy and then all of these people are just sitting around? Like, I, it's just just so absurd, the idea altogether. But um, alas, uh, I shouldn't wonder too long about what f- folks like that think. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, no, there's no joy there. There's no light <laughs> under that rock. But you know where there is light? There's light and gratitude. And I'm sure we have some people to thank this week. That's right. And actually, it's funny that you say it like that because the way I said it on Twitter was like, Boulay may as well have said that the sun fucking rises it, it, at night. <laughs> like is how completely ridiculous his comments are. Um, and, and yet <laughs> continuing, he said it. continuing your star theme from last week, <laughs> That's that, right. you know, someone is a bright light in a star. <laughs> That's yeah. wonderful. I like, I like this we should, we should continue on this, on this theme. That's good. That's good. Sandy Nora's, uh, sayings, which will mostly just be my, my sayings and, and, and you being like, what the, f- what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? All right. Well, um, for the folks who are the brightest stars in our galaxy, thank you so much this week <laughs> to Clawitz, Emily, Christy, and Andy. Your support means a lot. And everybody who listens to the show, thank you so much. And Sandy, we have a live show, official, 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 with tickets that people can actually purchase. Amoreal. 
Amoreal, how exciting is this? It is so exciting. I am very excited. (laughs) It's October 20th, Thursday, October 20th at Osgang Plaza. Osgang Plaza. Look it up. Uh, We will put a link to the tickets. Tickets are cheap. Tickets are are, are $7 and change. The tickets are $5, but then there's like some administrative fees. So it's $7 and change. Sorry, that's a weird amount. It is what it is. But please, you're in Montreal. You're in the Laurentians, you're in hell, you're in Gatineau. Come and check out Sandy Nora live Thursday night, October 20th. It is going to be awesome. And then the Ottawa, Ottawa show, <laughs> not, not, not happening. <laughs> yeah, I promised the Ottawa show would happen and I spoke too soon. It's not happening. Unfortunately, I think it's just the... Um, the reality, the political reality right now is that a lot of people who we would be organizing this with are very, very busy with the Ontario municipal elections. And so it's just not a good time. It's also about to be my birthday and I wanted to spend it with all of you, but then I might just not, you know, I might spend <laughs> it at home resting. Uh, so there's a couple of reasons why Ottawa is not going to work out, but we'll figure out another time to come back to Ottawa once, once. Jim Watson is no longer there. Has been scrubbed from the rolls of history. His name, anyway. (laughs) His name, anyway. Okay, so we have like uh, a few, like a smattering of things to talk about today. And first we will start with uh, a story that some of you may have seen um, about what's happening at the Toronto Star you may remember that at the Tour Star company, the company that owns the Toronto Star and all of the Toronto Star affiliates, um, was purchased by a couple of dudes who started a company called Nordstar to purchase Tour Star. <laughs> anyway, there's some drama going on at Nordstar. That's right. So the two guys that that put their money together and uh, rubbed it really, really hard and created a new newspaper called the Toronto Star and then a bunch of other uh, properties, um, they, uh, they're they fighting. They they were bros and now they're no's. <laughs> oh, that was a good line. Um, and they... Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> they, they, like, they had all these plans. So this this whole uh, a deal happened in, if I'm not wrong, it happened around April 2020 uh, and then went into the summer of 2020. Like, not a great time to purchase a newspaper, you know, admittedly. There was talk, there was talk about trying to use the platform of Torstar to, like, bring it further into, like, on, online gambling and make some money that way. And it turns out that Jordan Bitov and Paul Rivet had it, had different approaches or perspectives on news and rivet wants to sell the thing off for parts and bitov fell in love with the news industry and does not want to do that and so now they're in court fighting over the future of the newspaper and uh i'm sure there's a lot of toronto star journalists out there biting their fingernails wondering what the fuck's going to go on uh what's going to happen with this little with this little feud but my gosh like i can't really believe that the foundation of I don't know. I don't want to call the Toronto Star the most important daily newspaper in Canada because that gives them perhaps a bit too credit, but like certainly a very, very, very important newspaper in Canada. The whole thing hangs on the fucking bromance of these two rich guys. Like that seems not super strong. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, the the story that was in the National Post, I find it, I just find reading it so interesting because of the way they describe what's happening. It says, for example, Bitov, um, the lawsuit alleges, so Rivet has taken Bitov to court to try to be like, Bitov doesn't care about the company or whatever, something like that. Um, Bitov, the lawsuit alleges, so Rivet alleges, has prioritized his role as newspaper publisher over his responsibility as a director, officer, and fiduciary of the corporate interests of the company, which, okay, so just to repeat that in, you know, uh, smaller words, it Rivet's like... <laughs> Bitov is prioritizing being a newspaper publisher over the interests of this company. And I'm just like, sorry, what are the interests of the company? Are the interests of the company not publishing the news? <laughs> what, <laughs> what isn't the corporate interest exactly what Bitov's all about here? And it just continues like that, talking about how they really should be prioritizing the interests of the corporation, profits, blah, 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 blah. Which, okay, sure, it's a for-profit company, whatever, if that's the way they want to do it. But what are the interests of the corporation if not to publish the news? Like, is that not the purpose of a newspaper? I mean, I may be way off base, but I just, I thought that that's what it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe not. It, it kind of sounds a lot like uh, that speech that every student receives when you're on the board of governors at any university in this country that's like welcome your interest is now the longevity of the university and you're like wait but i was elected by the students and i think that i should be fighting for students interests no you're a director of the corporation of the university and your interests are now the corporation and you're like no wait what the fuck no it's about students and like some students get caught up in that and some don't but this is all very pathetic frankly and I definitely feel bad for a lot of like for the, for the journalists that are working at the star that have to kind of ignore that daddy and papa are fighting and that it might actually destroy your entire life. Um, it's not fair to them. And it's just obviously not a very sustainable way to run a newsroom. I hope that there's conversations happening within the, like the folks at the star of like a workers cooperative. This is mentioned in the in the in the Adrian Humphreys article at the National Post. Um, it's not mentioned in the court filings, but certainly, um, like, there has been some interesting cooperative experiments in Canada, and one that I pay most attention to because my daily newspaper is a part of it, is the CN2I cooperative that brings together five or six daily newspapers in Quebec. Um, and that cooperative was founded just before the pandemic started, and so it was not a good time to find to found a workers' cooperative. Though I did just read yesterday that the uh, number of people reading the newspapers has spiked quite significantly. And so Le Soleil uh, folks are very excited about that. So it's a possibility. It would only take a couple million dollars, like what, $30 million or something. Uh, there is that kind of money on the left, especially in, I don't know, the union that represents the workers at the Toronto Star and also us. Uh, but this whole corporate model is pretty fucking fraught. And if it relies on the goodwill of uh, rich men. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck? You might as well fucking just fold up the tables and go home. 
Yeah, it's pretty clear that um, newspapers and the media will not survive, you know, this this uh, this current iteration of capitalism. Like things are going from bad to worse and it's only going to get worse until it's the worst. And so at this point, you know, I you can argue over corporate interests all you like, but that's not going to save what is a necessary public service, which is that we need information. And quite frankly, the way we're turning towards social media companies to do to do that work has in part led to what's happening in Brazil and Quebec and all sorts of other places that we've been talking about since the beginning of this podcast. Um, and they have corporate interests too. And it's because of those corporate interests that, um, you know, they, they try to platform uh, conflicts that that leads to more clicks and things that are absurd that leads to more clicks. And then all of those sudden, those things become very, very real. Um, and so if it is not the social media companies and it's not a, a capitalist corporate structure, there's going to be, need to be a reckoning with figuring out another way. And I do, I do think that you raise a really um, a credible alternative that should be considered. And so Unifor, if you are listening, <laughs> or other unions, if you are listening, like, you know, think about it. This is it could be a really, really good opportunity um, to 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 show leadership in another way forward in a, in this really important sector of society. Yeah. And one of the ways that uh, news is really being watered down was also um, exposed or talked about, I guess, in the Toronto Star this past week. Ryan Imgrund. Do you know this guy, Sandy? Mm, remind me, who's Ryan Ingram? So Ryan burst onto the COVID scene in early 2020, well, mid-2020, but uh, early in the pandemic. Gross. And he, yeah, and he was making charts about the reproduction rate of the virus based on various scenarios, and he would do this every day. And he became a media fucking darling, a media darling. He was a go-to biostatistician in the early days of, of the pandemic when people were becoming celebrities thanks to the overwhelming attention that they were getting from media outlets. And Ryan got it all over the place. Like every single fucking outlet was was fucking all over him and all over his research. Um, and it was to the point where like – uh, I guess like the first time that he was really in in media was closer to June 2020, maybe late May. Uh, I got a message from him really early on and he was noticing the work that I was doing and he promised me that he would help get me some attention for my work because he had such an amazing he had such amazing access to journalists in Canada. And I was like, hey, stranger, um, that's not going to be easy. That's not really how it works in this country. But yeah, fuck, good luck. But not even you, superstar biostatistician, can help, you know, unfreeze me out of Canadian media. Um, and he took that as an insult, so then he uh, blocked me. So I never really saw Ryan after that. I know that he harassed a lot of... Uh, so he, he, he blocked you yeah, after that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I always saw people complaining oh, about God. him. Yeah, people complaining about him and complaining about uh, his conduct towards women, especially racialized women on Twitter. I didn't see any of that because I was blocked. <laughs> so, I mean, I trust everyone uh, who's saying that, that he was a piece of shit because uh, certainly he was a piece of shit to me <laughs> early on. But where is the Toronto Star come into all of this? 
Donovan Vincent, who's the public editor of the Toronto Star, that's a role for uh, a veteran journalist who's supposed to look into complaints that people level of at the newspaper. So if there's uh, factual problems or other kinds of questions that people have about articles, they would go to the public editor. And Vincent has this big article about, oh, shit, maybe we shouldn't have quoted Ryan Imgrund so much. Hmm. And not that there were problems with the Toronto Star and why they were so desperately relying on his research, which, by the way, is fucking basic. The guy is not a biostatistician. He's a fucking high school science teacher, which is fine. But um, they were relying on him like he was this very knowledgeable expert doing stuff that the Toronto Star could have hired an actual biostatistician to help them with. But anyway, and uh, Vincent had to kind of apologize to the readers of the Toronto Star for using this guy so much. He doesn't actually really explain a lot. He kind of puts it into a paragraph, which I believe is even in parentheses, that was like, oh, by the way, he's now being investigated for sexual assault of students. He doesn't work for the school board anymore. But... (laughs) Yikes. And And then the whole kind of frame is that, you know, the conduct of our sources matters. The conduct of our sources matters. Not that Toronto Star journalists were going to the, this fucking hack to, to outsource their research to, right? And then I'm watching this, of course, as someone that the Toronto Star interviewed exactly zero motherfucking times and asked to collaborate zero times with me. Um, so I know very well that, like, they didn't have to ask him. But it's something – it's worth w- looking at if, if people are curious. Look for that column from, as I say, Donovan Vincent, public editor at the Toronto Star – and Ryan Imgrund, uh, formerly uh, the golden boy of biostatistics in Canada and now sexual abuser. One final thing before we get into the meat of this episode. I know this is taking a long time, but one final thing. Nora and I are going to start a Christian Freeland watch. What's up with Christian Freeland this week, Nora? What's she been up to? What have we heard? What is going on with Christian Freeland? Do you know what, Sandy? I was in the supermarket today and her face is on the fucking milk carton. Oh, my God. Is she missing? (laughs) You know what? It's it's so fascinating because we mentioned this before. Uh, I just did a quick search about Freeland uh, on Google News to see, like, just, you know, what the fuck. And the first piece of news that comes up is from six days ago and then after that three weeks ago. And then when I tried to, like, refine the search to really make sure I was looking in the last week – um, she made a comment to journalists that she was like leaving uh, a meeting, <laughs> so like not a press conference. I think they're hiding her. I think they're hiding her. And it seems that certainly Melanie Jolie is like the new it girl in Canadian politics because she is commenting on Ukraine and Freeland is not. <laughs> OK, and but the thing is, like, this is fascinating. This is in a week where you know, uh, everyone's talking about just inflation. Like this is the the thing that's coming out of parliament is the banning of the word just inflation, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Minister of finance, nowhere to be heard from. You know, inflation is a big deal in Canada. Where is the minister of fi- finance on this? Uh, I don't know. And also with whatever is going on in the UK, with uh, the tanking of, of the pound and that having huge impacts all over the world. Where is the Minister of Finance? You know where the Minister of Finance is, Nora? Being protected because she is going to run in the next election. Mark my words. Said it here before. 
they said that Justin Trudeau is going to be running and leading the Liberal Party in the next election. Mm-mm. We are going to do this Christian Freeland watch, okay? Just <laughs> watch it happen. It is going to be her, and the reason why we haven't heard from her when it's so clearly a time when we should be hearing from the Finance Minister of Canada is because they're protecting her for her eventual run. Yep, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And when I saw people talking about Melanie Jolie maybe being the next prime minister, that's fucking distracting. Whoever said that is not fucking paying attention. So don't trust the shiny objects that you see. The liberals absolutely are salivating over a Polyever versus Freeland showdown uh, in the exact absolutely. opposite way that I am. <laughs> <laughs> Read between the just inflation lines. Okay. <laughs> Jesus and Christ. finally, finally, Iran. The main event, Iran. Obviously, some uh, terrible things have been happening uh, in Iran, and people have been protesting all over the world. If you don't know how, what I'm talking about, I don't, I don't know how it's possible that you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, a, the, the morality police uh, picked up a young woman named Masa Amini um, after policing what she was wearing, saying that it was not, she was not uh, covered enough for the rules of the country um, and arrested her. Uh, she then was beaten um, in that arrest, and you know the the morality police in Iran are of course denying this, but she was uh, clearly beaten. She was in a, a coma afterwards, and uh, and died shortly afterwards. And so this this has um, sparked worldwide protests um, for support of uh, you know uh, women's uh, liberation. Not just in Iran, but I think um, uh, people uh, are also likening it to what's been happening in their own locations, as they should be. Because, of course, uh, the way this that we should be talking about this, there's multiple ways to talk about this. And I think that there are some people who are very, very comfortable pointing at this idea of morality police pointing at this uh, idea of uh, a, f- a foreign, far-off place that treats women badly and saying that these people are, are awful people and um, are in some way very, very different than us. But uh, we should also always be thinking about how, zooming out from that and thinking about how this is on a continuum of controlling women all over the world, of controlling gender all over the world and gender expression all over the world, and that policing is, in fact, all types of policing is morality policing. Um, if you think about it, like that, that is what police do. They control, um, uh, they, they control and affix what is moral and what is immoral in a society and um, and we shouldn't be thinking about it as something separate from uh, the way that policing operates elsewhere. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of issues that definitely need to be untangled because they are easy to tangle all up and then be used in different ways that are less than ideal. Um, first of all, for me, I mean, it's just it, you can't. You can't live in Canada and not have a ton of Iranian friends if you're not Iranian. And if you are listening and you don't have a ton of Iranian friends, I don't get it. <laughs> you should have more 
Um, and so I'm seeing friends um, posting their photos from their protests all across North America. And it's really, really amazing. And um, and the, the regime in Iran has is brutal. I mean, people live under it and it sucks. And uh, the the control of women's dress and bodies and forcing them to cover their hair is fucked up and bullshit. And um, seeing just how intense and incredible the, the the reaction is, these protests are, is is really, really great and really wonderful. Now, there's also a ton of different politics that are happening here. And I've seen some debate online from left-wing people like asking or asserting how left-wing people should be orienting themselves around this. Because at the same time, the United States has been meddling in Iran for so fucking many years that many people are legitimately concerned that these protests will be another, yet another way for the United States to intervene and further fuck up uh, things in Iran. And that would help absolutely nobody. And so I think that that's something that people definitely need to keep an eye on. And I I don't have a sense as to how strong... Um, left-wing or socialist movements within the country are, but certainly uh, I, I, I know that people are desperate for change. And I just, I know that through my friends and through the people that, um, who I've heard over the many, many years talk about um, how things are in Iran and, and certainly living under under uh, a regime of American sanctions, for example, which is something that hasn't really been mentioned in uh, certainly in Canadian or American media that I've seen. And so all of these things are really important for us to keep our eye on. Uh, and, you know, going back to Christian Freeland, uh, unlike when she was announcing all the sanctions, gleefully announcing all the sanctions uh, against Russia, because, of course, she's an enemy of Russia. And so this is all very, uh, I think, fun probably for her in some way. Uh, she did not announce the sanctions that they just announced um, on people in Iran tied to the Iranian regime. Um, and so I just also want to remind people that sanctions are fucking bullshit and the only people that they hurt are the poorest people and they also do not help. So uh, Justin Trudeau, another round of sanctions against Iran. It's the fucking only thing that we know. It's the only thing we do. And I'm sitting here wondering, well, did we reopen the Iranian embassies that like Harper closed? Because I, I haven't heard that we've done that. And like maybe we could do that. <laughs> you know, maybe we can help make it possible for Iranians to access a Canadian embassy rather than having to go to other countries to do it. To bring the context back to Canada, of course, um, in Quebec in particular, and but also in outside of Quebec, there is quite a bit of sentiment around that people have uh, around controlling women's self-expression when it comes to their religion, in particular when it comes to Muslim women and the hijab. And of course, as many of my friends have been saying online as well in some in debates this week, there is, again, a continuum of the way that people want to control women around the world. And um, whether you are mandating that women cover up or mandating that women do not cover up um, or mandating any type of gender expression for that matter, uh, that is that is amounting to a draconian type of uh, fascistic control over uh, over women's bodies, and uh, as as much as we are frustrated, as we are um, uh, disgusted at what is happening in Iran, we should uh, also be disgusted and frustrated when that is happening everywhere. Um, and so, in talking about uh, these things in Canada, we should be talking about 
uh, in addition to what's happening in Iran, um, how the, the manifestations of these types of politics in our own backyard. Yeah, like this is I think that this is going to be a bit of a backlash situation. So it's it's not it's like I haven't seen uh, personally people trying to make that argument in, in Quebec. We hear it all the time. And, and, and a lot of a lot of it comes from uh, the far right. Of course, some of it comes from women who have left. Uh, countries where hijab is mandated either explicitly or implicitly and they come to get back and they're like, ha, huh, I don't have it anymore and now I'm going to use my voice to be shitty towards other uh, women, which is like not ideal, right? And and I've been waiting for that to happen uh, in this, but I think that it will not, that kind of backlash won't happen while the protests are still going on because there's not much space to like make this about um, being Islamophobic yet. Um, but I do think that's coming. And I, I think it's coming. Uh, certainly in Quebec, it's going to be very easy to see and it'll be mainstream. But in the rest of Canada, I think, you know, it, it will also be um, interesting to watch how it manifests itself, um, whether or not there will be new conversations that center around um, these kinds of oppressive regimes and how then all of a sudden they get used to, like, support Canadian oil or uh, that they get they used to, to amp up Islamophobia within this country. Uh, will this be a tactic that we'll see someone like Pierre Pauly ever use? Or does Pauly ever have a political calculus that says that that's actually not going to work for them this time? I don't know. I don't know. But it's it is very interesting that like from the federal government, we've heard nothing like other than these sanctions. There's no like considering how and I, I made this comment online or maybe 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 I made this comment to a, in a private conversation like my life fucking the, the, the boundaries blur all over the place. But like there, there's such an like enormous diversity of political opinion among Iranians living in Canada. Uh, depending on their class, when they came to Canada, what political orientation they they identify with, like it's really, really, really diverse. And it's like obviously any any group of people is going to be diverse, but particularly Iranians, there's a lot of diversity in in how people orient towards these politics. And it's like, what's what are the community calling for? What what do Iranians want Canada to do in this situation? Uh, has Trudeau called together meeting of different uh, of, of Iranian leaders from different kinds of groups across Canada to ask this question? Like, I don't think probably he has, um, because, again, we don't actually have any sophisticated approach to foreign affairs. Um, and it's it's it's. Like, I, I watch this really closely uh, because, m like, my partner's lab uh, has a lot of Iranian students. And so my partner is actually very involved with contact with different universities in Iran. Um, and, of course, his students are, you know, keep him up to date. And we talk about this all the time. And so, like, it's a country that I, I feel like I know a little bit more than other countries. And it's like people have opinions and people have ideas. And the best thing that we've heard is a bunch of sanctions, which is just, like, so fucking week. So I, I wish that we had a government that would look at things like, as I say, that embassy issue, like forcing Iranians to go to Turkey if they have to deal with the Canadian government is just so ridiculous. That needs to stop. That should never have happened. And then it's another thing that, that Harper did that Trudeau never stopped, that Trudeau never fixed. So like, fuck that. The other thing in all of this is this whole idea of American intervention in Iran. I'm very interested in this question because I... I don't know, Sandy, what do you think? Do you think the United States has any capacity for uh, sophisticated intervention like it did uh, even a decade ago? 
Oh, no, absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> I do not think so. I mean, we know that that's not the case, yeah? Yeah, I think that we know that that's not the case, which is also why I'm so interested in seeing a, a lot of left-wing people being very concerned that this is just going to provide cover for more U.S. intervention. It's like, have you have you seen the United States right now? Like, I, I don't know if they're there right now. I don't know if they'll ever be back there. No, and especially with what's happening in Russia, I don't think that there's going to be any interest in in um, in intercepting or intervening in what's happening in Iran. I could be wrong, you know. Like it is altogether possible that I have just read global politics wrong, and this is exactly what um, the U.S. wants. But I I highly doubt it, and I don't think that um, that the U.S. would have the public support that they would need for it either. So, and with everything mm-hmm. being so uh, dramatically divided and going into an election, uh, midterm elections this year, and then having to prepare for the elections in two two more years, starting a war right now doesn't seem to benefit anyone. Uh, in, mm, for the, you mean another war? <laughs> another war right now would uh, benefit anyone in the United States, in, in like in a, a foreign interventionist war, would benefit anyone in the United States. And uh, you know, I think that they're desperately trying to uh, avoid uh, some sort of uh, provocation with Russia. So, blah, no, <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's not happening. I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, for for me, like, uh, aside from the solidarity and, you know, I don't know what Canadians can do to support uh, women in Iran, but like, you know, folks should definitely be in touch with us if there's some really great initiatives that you want us to talk about. But it always reminds me, though, of like, where are feminist movements then in Canada? And, you know, I spent this past week, I was at the Gender Equality Coalition of Ontario conference And I have to say, like, so much of the conversations of what was feminism was a neoliberal, individualized, atomized, personal feminism that is not going to be what can bring together a movement that is actually harmful, even if every even if the individual can pass the test and they're totally feminist and they're really, really great when they try to express that politic in in any kind of uh, broader way it collapses because it it is it cannot be individualized the way that um, I think so many feminists today conceptualize it. And so it was a bit it was a bit sad, I think, to be honest, to hear uh, so many expressions of feminism be so individualized. I think we can change minds. But I look at that and then I look at news in Ontario that like the for-profit childcare people are winning and the childcare p- promise in Ontario is collapsing. And, you know, people are like, oh, what the fuck, Doug Ford, you suck. Like every other promise got it right and you can't do it right. And it's like, folks, it's because there's no movement. It's because there's no movement pushing and putting pressure on things to make them better. And then this afternoon, I was at a good old fashioned counter protest to some uh, piece of shit anti-abortion activists. And it's 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 so wonderful to see that kind of collective action fighting against struggling against the far right uh, to hear just how many fucking drivers. uh, We had bus drivers honking for us. We had tow truck drivers honking for us one guy drove by with a fucking completely mangled car and he's laying his horn down like giving us like a fist in the air and it's like 
the sentiment is there, but the fucking movements are so damaged that we do not have feminist power in this country. Yeah, and I think the call that you're making uh, for whether it's, you know, for our government to get together um, uh, uh, groups from across the country who are uh, Iranian groups to talk about, you know, what is it that you want or the call uh, to to have people who are organizing reach out to people in Iran who are doing this sort of work to to say how can we be in solidarity is is a politic that rejects that kind of individualism. And that is so much of what we need generally on the left that I think um, is uh, we're seeing less and less of in a way that really uh, troubles me. I think that there has been quite a bit of individualism that has permeated our institutions, uh, our organizations on the left. And it's left us kind of scrambling and wondering what it is that we do at times like these. Um, and honestly, when you are worried and wondering and feeling like you don't have all the answers, um, part, of, part of the reason why you're feeling that way is because you don't fucking have all the answers. You don't. You can't. The answers, in part, come by struggling together, whether it is... Uh, answers of how to be in solidarity with other people or answers for what it is that we do when we are facing um, the the uh, tearing down of like a, a possible public child care system in the province of Ontario. All of these things require us to um, to to reject individualism, reject neoliberalism, and to come together as a community and work together and work through um, our issues with each other and work in struggle with one another in order to confront these things. And so um, with all of the inspiring protests that are taking place across the world, um, uh, decrying what has happened uh, in Iran and what happened to Masa Amini, I think, uh, you know, please take that with you, that, uh, you know, as much the, the feelings that we feel when we go to protests like that, the swell of something is possible here, we can bring something down, terrible down, and we can build something amazing up. Um, if you've ever been in a massive protest, you know what I'm talking about. It's a very, like, like you feel it deep in your soul that you're feeling that because you are working with so many people um, together in tandem. And if we can continue to do those things, that is how we solve the big issues in our world. Mm -hmm. 